The episode you're about to listen to was released back when the Mere Christians podcast was called The Call to Mastery. Now, if you love Mere Christians, you're still going to love these older episodes because the majority of each conversation focuses on how the gospel influences the work of our guests. With that disclaimer out of the way, please enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody, welcome to The Call to Mastery. I'm Jordan Rayner. Hey, if you're loving the podcast, go pre-order Master of One, my new book that's going to be released on January 21st. And when you do, go to jordanrayner.com to make sure you enter to win the trip to Europe I'm giving away for you and a friend. That's right. You're going to go on a seven-night European cruise. You're going to go tour La Sagrada Familia, the world's largest church created by a true master of one who I profile in the book. And then I'm going to fly to Barcelona and I'm going to take you and your friend to dinner. And who knows, maybe we'll even record a little episode of The Call to Mastery while we're in Barcelona. So go pre-order the book, enter the sweepstakes right now at jordanrainer.com. And hey, listen, with the book coming out right around the corner, I thought you guys might want to hear from some of the masters uh, that I share their stories of in the book, right? So a few weeks ago, we had Jeff Heck of Monday Night Brewing. And today we have another master who I talk about in the book extensively. Her name is Christy Adams. She's one of my best friends. She's not world famous, but she is world class at what she does. She's a world class educator. She's been a middle school Spanish teacher for 15 years, has consistently received the highest marks in performance reviews. I know Christy's former principal who cannot stop singing her praises. She's exceptional at what she does. And oh, by the way, she loves Jesus very, very deeply. So Christy and I sat down. We talked about why finding your one thing vocationally requires tons of experimentation in your career, tons of trial and error. We talk about the importance of seeking out feedback from those you serve in your career, even if, by the way, they're uh, middle schoolers. That's an interesting take on this conversation. And we also talked about how the Lord often grants us power as we achieve mastery of our crafts. I really think you're going to enjoy this very down-to-earth conversation. Without further ado, here's my friend, Christy Adams. Christy Adams, hello again. We meet again. <laughs> yes. Take two of the Call to Mastery. So, thought we weren't going to mention take one. We're going to mention it. So for those listening, Christy and I recorded this conversation, I don't know, two months ago. And at your behest, you're commanding. We're doing take two. You're the only person who's demanded a retake. So what's going on? Why are we redoing this, Christy? I could not string a sentence together the last time that we talked. You asked me what my favorite book was, and I couldn't even think of a title of a book. So, oh, hey, book. Uh, a book. Um, you got a character out. Uh, that Harry Potter kid. <laughs> that guy. So you know what's funny, though? I think I mentioned this to you. As soon as we got done recording, my producer, Chris, came in. He's like, that's going to be your audience's favorite episode because you're not a professional speaker. You're not an entrepreneur or a podcast or somebody who talks for a living. You have a seemingly ordinary (laughs) – I I, I don't mean that offensive (laughs) at all. You have a seemingly ordinary but beautifully eternally significant job like the majority of our audience. You are – the audience, although you probably don't listen to this show, so you're not technically <laughs> my audience. Show. And I've said before, I don't want this to be a show that only features 
people who get paid to talk. I want this to celebrate the goodness of every job and teachers and plumbers. And I was just talking to somebody else about getting this janitor on who has this like super well-formed theology of work that I can't wait to talk to. So all that to say, (laughs) thanks for doing it again, even though you've never looked more uncomfortable in your life. I told you that when I was a preteen, I was in a show and the bench that I was supposed to sit on in this show was not set properly. And I fell off the bench and I flashed the whole audience. And I said, that experience was not as embarrassing as our first recording of this podcast. <laughs> so thank you for doing this again. So we're on the up and up so, again. Yes. Man, the audience, we're setting the bar <laughs> super low for this episode, which is good. I mean, they, we're right. going to blow people's minds right. with how adequate this episode of The Call of the Master is going to be. So I'm really excited about this. So when I show Ryan called to create, uh, sorry, not called to create, Master of One, I'm on the wrong book. I made a list of basically just the most exceptional people I knew, like people that I really wanted to talk to. And you were one of the first people that I jotted down. And because one, I mean, I knew you first and foremost, we go to church together, we vacation together. You're an exceptional mother. But I also knew through bits and pieces of what your husband has shared in the past that you're also an exceptional professional, in your case, a teacher. And so I called your husband up. I was like, hey... <laughs> Am I like reading this wrong? Is your wife like actually not as great as she sounds to me? He's like, no, she's she's the real deal. So I'm really, really excited about this. So your one thing kind of in the vernacular of this book is super specific. You have been teaching middle school Spanish for how long? 15 years. 15 years. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it took you a lot of time to kind of figure out what that thing was going to be for you professionally. And I talk a lot about this in chapter five of the book, this value of exploring lots of different options in your career. You had a lot of different career interests, <laughs> uh, which I'm eager to explore. So can you talk about kind of that path of experimenting and figuring out what you wanted to do sure. when you grew up? So I had, like you said, a lot of different ideas when I was little, you know, zoologist and an actress on Broadway. I mean, every, I didn't like, know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Interesting. Yeah. So lots of different things. And in high school, I started really focusing in on becoming an eye doctor. And so I took the opportunity to do an internship with an eye doctor in our area for several months and quickly found out that that was not what I wanted to do with my life (laughs) at all. It was... As you're quoted in Master of One, I'm saying because of the disgusting eye juice. (laughs) Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. Horrible. And that I, sounds horrible. And I thought I no, wanted no to do No offense to no, ophthalmologists. No, yeah. Th- yes. We love. Thank you for what you do. Thank you and for- it was, <laughs> yes, you changed my life forever because you gave me the gift of sight. So thank you. But also, how do you do what you do? Yeah, it was yeah, horrible. Yeah. But I was really thankful for that opportunity because I did not, you know, even though I declared pre-med, you know, going in my freshman year of college, I was able to quickly change that after my internship because- I realized that was not what I wanted to do. So, so wait, so this internship with the ophthalmologist, mm-hmm. were you in high school? Were you in yes, college? Yes, I was a senior in high school. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Who does Was that a requirement for you to do an internship in high school? Yes. Huh. Yes. That's I've never heard of that before. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's yep. good. Okay, great. So you, you figure out you don't want to be an ophthalmologist. Right. And then I went through another, you know, myriad of <laughs> yeah. ideas. I like a lot of different things. Yeah. But after my senior year of high school, I went on a mission trip to Mexico and we split up into different groups and my group's translator, something went wrong with our group's translator. And so here we were going into this. You make it sound like they went missing. <laughs> it was 
something yeah, kind of in like the jungles that. of Mexico. I don't know what yeah, happened. Yeah. But I do remember that they said, oh, goodness, we need somebody. Christy, you took Spanish, right? And it was it had been several years since I had taken it. Like, yeah. it was a fine class, but I didn't understand, you know, like, what the, you know, whatever. It was just a fine class. So I started interacting with people and using my language skills and started to realize I really love connecting with people mm. from different cultures. And so I kind of started taking more Spanish classes. And then as I was at the University of Georgia, I started tutoring middle school immigrants mm. that lived in that area, mm -hmm. teaching them English and just realized how much I loved middle schoolers. <laughs> It's so bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> and to this day, I absolutely adore them. They're the greatest age. I really don't ever want to work with another age. They're my favorite. And so, you know, my life kind of started to take that path where I focused on Spanish education and teaching English as a second language. Yeah. So it started with this like small bet that you place yep. in college, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, the first small bet was I'm going to translate Spanish to English mm -hmm. on this missions trip. Then it was a slightly bigger bet mm -hmm. of I'm going to tutor these kids and help them learn English. Right. And you just kind of progressed in placing bigger and bigger bets. What was your first job out of school? It was teaching, right? Right. Well, where was this? In Georgia? It was in Gainesville, Georgia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we had a high population of immigrants in that area. And so my first job was teaching Spanish to English speakers. And then I also taught English to Spanish speakers. So. Got it. So. I can't remember if I wrote about this in Master of One. Maybe you can tell me. But part of what I appreciate about your story, I think a lot of people, when they try to quote unquote discern their calling, focus exclusively inwardly. What do I want to do? What am I interested in? What I appreciate about you, I think there's a lot of wisdom here, is listening to the Holy Spirit nudging through other people outside of yourself mm -hmm. that are pointing at things, say, hey, you might be good at this. Now, the people on your mission trip were just doing it because they desperately needed somebody <laughs> to like translate Spanish. But right. that ended up being, I mean, right. the Lord ended up working right. through those people yeah. to put you on this career path, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So you've found your thing. You've been committed to pursuing master of your craft for 15 years. Many of our listeners haven't figured mm -hmm. that out. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to somebody who is yet to choose and commit to one thing vocationally? I mean, there are so many ways to explore your options now. <laughs> I would definitely, if you're at a stage in your life where you can do internships, like, yeah. you know, like I was, I think that is super helpful to find out what you're interested in and then what you're not interested in. So you don't have to waste a whole lot of time <laughs> shadowing people, apprenticing when you can, doing as much online research to see, you know, what possibilities there are, but ask people around you, like for godly advice, you know, and this is probably cheesy, but I love that. I think it's a Mark Twain quote where he says, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go yeah. out and do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do love the part about coming alive, but yeah. I do also think you, you should ask yourself what the world needs yeah. because that's a way to glorify God and ask yourself like how you can glorify God and serve others through what God has given you. So two things that stand out to me there. So one is... Asking others, right? Which we already talked mm -hmm. about. This idea that work is not 
primarily a means of serving us, primarily about mm-hmm. making us happy. It's about making other people happy and mm-hmm. serving the world, mm-hmm. right? And with that comes vocational happiness. Mm-hmm. You get to love what you do right. by getting really good at it, which I think you would agree with. But the second thing is this idea of like little bits. I talk a lot mm-hmm. about this in Master of One, right? So place as small of bets as you possibly can and increase the size of that bet in your career mm-hmm. as things start to work and you mm-hmm. find things that you're gifted at. So I don't think we've actually ever talked about this. I mean, our kids play soccer on Saturdays together. We've never had this conversation somehow. So like, how do you think about this in parenting? So like, there's two, I've heard two arguments here, right? Like one is this author, Daniel Epstein talks about this in his book, Range, the difference between Tiger Woods and Roger Federer, right? Mm -hmm. So Tiger Woods' dad, like, put a golf club in his hand when he was three. Mm -hmm. It was like, this is your thing. I'm going to choose your one thing for you when you're four years old, Mm -hmm. and it's the only thing you're ever going to do. Whereas Roger Federer explored widely, Mm -hmm. right, and experimented with a ton of different sports and activities. What are you doing with your kids? (laughs) Like, like oh what are you and Chris being methodical and intentional about having them explore a lot of different hobbies and things outside school? We talk about this a lot because our children are a lot like they are interested in so many different things. And our oldest in particular, we have four kids right now. I say right now because we're fostering. So that number changes, but our oldest child is good at so much and she's super strong, Hmm. but she doesn't like to commit to any one thing. So Hmm. we have had this. So no, I don't have an answer for you, but we've had this discussion. How far do we push her in that? Because, you know, like we think she would be really great at it, but if the passion's not there and I know your passion's going to kind of come and go and stuff, but if the passion's not there, like why are we really pushing her towards this? So I don't know the answer to that question, Jordan. I don't either. <laughs> you asked me something I don't either. Easier. This is why I'm asking you. No, but like, so I'm a big fan of uh, this book, Grit, by Angela Duckworth. And she talks about this concept of the hard thing rule, mm-hmm. right? So her take on this, and I support this wholeheartedly in Master of One, is like, explore widely. Mm-hmm. Try lots of different mm-hmm. stuff, especially when you're young. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer in, I think we ask kids to commit way too early to their quote unquote one thing. Like mm-hmm. I think the Tiger Woods model mm-hmm. is insane in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, right? So explore widely, but at some point, especially as they get older in high school, start pushing them towards doubling down on something. So mm-hmm. Angela Duckworth's rule is Everybody in the house has to do one quote unquote hard thing outside of school. It's like mm. soccer, ballet, mm-hmm. violin, whatever. And the rule is you have to stick with it for the entire season or right. some natural stopping point. Right. So if it's violin, I don't right. know, six months, something like that, whatever right. it is. And then when they get in high school, they have to do something for two years. They have to commit to one thing for two years. I think that's a yeah. it's an interesting way to yeah. think about it. I like that. All right. So you and I sat down at that weird, bizarre restaurant for the interview for Master of One. It's one of the weirder experiences of my life, you and your husband and me and Kara. And we talked about purposeful practice and how masters of any vocation deliberately seek out feedback, Mm -hmm. right, from people, from Mm -hmm. whoever they serve, their bosses, customers, investors. You're really big on this. You've thought a lot about this. Talk about what this seeking out of feedback looks like as a teacher, Yeah, I ask for feedback from my administrators, um, from my colleagues, but my most valuable feedback is definitely from my students. Mm -hmm. I give them surveys quite often, asking them about, you know, lessons that we've done. I ask them about their life just to kind of get, yeah. Like in the survey, you're like, hey, how did I do on this? And oh, by the way, how how is your life? Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> and actually just recently I had a student say, well, eighth grade is pretty, what was the word? Deplorable. Or so she used some funny <laughs> word, but you're one of the only things that is making this year bearable. And it hmm. broke my heart that a student is <laughs> yeah. with me for 47 minutes and I'm a bright spot in her life. But it was kind of good for me to recalibrate like, hey, what I'm doing really does matter. Hmm. But I ask them for feedback on lessons. I ask them, you know, what am I doing that is helpful to you? What are we doing that's not helpful? You know, learning styles, that kind of thing. Just the other day, a kid made an offhand comment as he was leaving. He just seemed to, we were talking about a quiz that they had done. Oh, it was horrible. (laughs) And as they were leaving, the kid just turned around and he said, Senor Adams, I think we did so poorly because... We weren't used to typing out the words. We were used to writing the words and this test was online Hmm. or whatever. And so it really made me think like, oh, yeah, you know, like I hadn't taught them how to use accent marks and some of their phones were changing their answer, you know. So I was able the next day to say like, guys, we're on the same team and my goal for you is to be successful. And I don't want you to feel like, oh, man, I failed this test because... You know, I took it on this thing that changed my answers or whatever. So we're going to take a paper and pencil test and we're going to try it again. And they were so excited. I'm like, you can always give me feedback. Mm. We are on the same team Mm. and it helps me modify my lessons and helps me connect with them because they see that I take their feedback and actually, you know, make changes to what I do and figure out what needs to be done differently so that they get it because that's the goal. So So I got to imagine that I mean, I don't remember high school very well, or certainly mm-hmm. not middle school, but right. I don't remember a teacher. I, I don't remember middle school at all. <laughs> really? Yes. Maybe that's why you like yeah. love middle school. Yeah. You're like reliving middle school right. through them, which sounds terrible. <laughs> I don't remember a teacher ever asking me mm-hmm. for feedback. The same thing is true in business. Like I'm shocked at like how many businesses don't survey their customers and just ask like, what's working? What's mm-hmm. not working? One question I have for you, though, like that would be the first time you send a survey to middle schoolers who are known for being relentless. <laughs> that would be a little intimidating to me. Were you intimidated? They're by extremely that? honest. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, they there's got to be some fear of that, like, really honest. Yeah, yeah I guess right? so. I mean, after 15 years, it's kind of like, well, I know there's going to be well, someone that's going to say, yeah. like, no homework or like, just let us have party time or something. But... Yeah, they're brutally honest. Yeah. And so what is your kind of cadence for integrating that feedback into your changing lesson plans? Like how frequently are you getting their feedback? Is it once a year? Is it once a quarter? What is that? I definitely do it once a quarter. But I mean, I try to get informal feedback as much as I can. I try to listen to them when they don't know that I'm listening. I I look at results from their quizzes, you know, and as we're going over stuff, just like I asked them, did this make sense to you? You know, are you tracking? Like, Hmm. show me on a scale of one to 10. How much do you feel like you could use this in the real world? That kind of thing. Yeah. So I think I ended up interviewing, I don't know, we'll call it 30 people, Mm -hmm. 30 Christ followers who are Mm -hmm. exceptional at what they do for the book, for Master Mm -hmm. One. And I think the one theme that came up in every single conversation was humility, right? And that manifested itself Mm -hmm. in a few different ways. In your case, it was this idea of like, eagerly seeking out feedback, Mm -hmm. being vulnerable Mm -hmm. and humble to admit, I've been doing this for 15 Mm -hmm. years, but I still don't know everything. How can I do better? How else does humility play out in your kind of path to continuing to master your vocation? Are there other expressions of humility there? I mean, I just Can I ask you to be proud about being (laughs) humble? Yeah, it was basically the question. I just think in the way that I relate with students, Mm -hmm. I have to 
be willing to ask for forgiveness if, you know, like, hey, I raised my voice when there was really no need to, or I lost my patience with you guys, you know, and they always act taken aback when I do that. I don't think they're used to teachers apologizing and owning up like, hey, Mm -hmm. you know, I could have explained this little, you know. So I just think in the way that I treat them and they see that it's okay for me to make mistakes and to take risks, you know, and they see that I have to ask for forgiveness, but I try to model in my class, like, hey, it's progress, not perfection. Like, Mm -hmm. you're not going to know all of these Spanish words, you know, it's okay. Let's just progress each day. You know, hey, I make mistakes with the way that, you know, I handle the class or something every now and then, but, you know, we're just going to keep trying to progressing together. So do you use the word forgiveness? Yeah. Really? (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. Do they like... That's an odd word for them, right? <laughs> this is probably not something they hear very much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they always like act embarrassed that I'm apologizing to them. They're, and they're like, <laughs> we deserved it or whatever. And I'm like, no, no, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't have raised my voice or whatever it is. That's funny. So you have a lot going on. I mentioned before, you're, at least from the outside, you're an exceptional mom. Thank you. Do you do a great job parenting your kids. You really are. <laughs> Pat yourself on the back. You deserve it. I tell uh, them that all the time. All, all the time. Guys, you have no idea how good you have it. But you're also exceptional at your craft. What does that look like for you? What does a typical work day look like for you from sunup to sundown? Yeah. What's a day in the life of Christy oh, I'm super interested in like routines, habits. <laughs> yeah. You can learn nothing from my routine <laughs> because I'm constantly exhausted. I wake up at like 4 or 4.30 and start scrolling through my mental list of things to do. I get on Pinterest and look at ideas for – I'm super interested in this new language philosophy called comprehensible input where mm-hmm. – not that you care, but I'm going to tell you no, anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. Instead of just – immersing the students in the language and speaking 100% in the language. It's kind of modeling the language in a different way where you include lots of pictures and acting Mm -hmm. it out and that kind of thing. So they don't feel overwhelmed, but they feel like they understand what's going on, but they're also being challenged. So I look up ideas for that. And then it's just, you know, Chris and I are trying to get these lethargic sloths out of our home (laughs) and onto the bus. And I work part-time this year, Mm -hmm. so I get off at noon. Mm -hmm. And so then I pick up the kids and, or I get them from the bus stop rather. And something that I've changed since our last conversation. <laughs> since take one. I, yeah. yeah. Since yeah. take one, we were talking about quiet times. Yeah. And I said, I was trying to do it in the morning and it was a disaster. And I was trying to read sort of in the middle of the night, like after, you know, 4.30 in between 6am and it was not going well. And also I was talking about how I wanted my children to yes. see me studying yeah. God's yeah, word. Yeah, we talked about this. Yeah. And so- Nobody will get to benefit from that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Once we rehash Well, yeah. <laughs> I have since changed that. And when they are starting their homework time, I sit down with them and I've started to do that during their homework time. I like that. Yeah. So that they see that I'm making it a priority, you know, hmm. and- so thank you for is that, that. Is that working? Yeah. It's yeah. working great. Yeah. They're not interrupting you like a million times I mean, to ask for yeah, help. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. yeah. So Otherwise, it will never get done if they don't. <laughs> yeah. So the backstory, I mean, I think you set up the backstory pretty well, right? But we were talking during take one of this mm-hmm. episode about, I have a hard time figuring out when to do my quiet time because I do want the kids to see it. Right. Like, to see me reading God's word every day. Mm-hmm. But- by the very nature of their age, they're Ellison's five, Kate's three. Mm-hmm. When they're up, like they're Kate's incessant. I mean, mm-hmm. you know Kate, like mm-hmm. she she literally doesn't stop talking. Yeah. So 
Yeah, that just makes it. Yeah, I wonder where she Mm -hmm. gets it from. No, it just makes it incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to figure out. Like the ideal scenario would be, I'm at the kitchen table Mm -hmm. at 5 Mm a.m. Right, and reading Mm -hmm. for 30 minutes, and they get up at 5:30 or six or whatever, and they Mm -hmm. catch me at the tail end. Right, but homework times. That's I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Works for me. All right, so let's talk about this teaching. Mm-hmm. You've made it like very clear. We talked about this when we were talking about the book. You don't want to be a principal. Oh, no. <laughs> you don't want to be an administrator. <laughs> no. No offense to principals. We're offending no. everybody today. No right. offense to principals. No. But I mean, listen, like you're in a role without like any upward mobility, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're a teacher. Right. And there's really nowhere to go from that. There's not this. My point is there's not that extrinsic motivation of significantly more pay or that's not title. true. That is not true. Really? I just got a $2 <laughs> raise. Thank well, you very much. Well, thank you very much. Thank okay. you. Okay. All right. Great. So other than that $2 raise- <laughs> Per day. Per day. What's motivating you? Like what is motivating you and driving you to get better at what you do? Well, I've always been intrinsically motivated. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, my husband, always asks me, why don't you just recycle your old lessons? Why can't you just use what you used last year? And I'm like, because I've learned so much since last year. It's a better different- is possible. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Different kids, different ways of reaching them. You know, we have different inside jokes. And mm. so, you know, that, mm. and, I mean, constantly looking at the new research and that kind of thing. But, you know, like when I close my door and I lock my students in there with me, <laughs> because it's 2019 and I have to do that. I know that I'm bringing glory to God because I am putting forth my best effort and I am treating them with loving kindness. And I believe I do that through planning an effective lesson and showing them that I care by incorporating all of the things, the research, the things I know about them, the things that I get from their feedback. And so that really does motivate me Hmm. for sure to keep pushing. It's kind of the only answer, right? So do you think this idea, I don't know if you want to call it ambition. I don't I don't even know that it's ambition. Is this something that can be learned? I mean, that's I guess it's kind of what this podcast is all about, right? It is about inspiring people to lean harder into the work that they're doing. Not making work an idol, right? Mm-hmm. But leaning more heavily into the work that we are doing because we believe it is a primary means by which we reveal God's character in the world and love neighbor itself. Yeah. Is that something that people are born with? Or do you think people can really develop that and understand that at a deeper level? I think that you can develop that. I think as we you know, shift our perspective and as we grow closer in our walk with the Lord, I think that you can see that our work is a wonderful way that we can reflect God's glory and be grateful for the talents that he's given us and I think that we should be developing it each day, you know, whether we're staying at home or we're in the workplace or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, I definitely think that it can be developed and should be developed. I hope so. Right. I mean, otherwise, what the heck are we doing (laughs) on this podcast? Just talking to people who already get it. But and I do believe that. I do wonder about that sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'm like, is this just... I don't know, the ambition gene or is there something? And I don't think it is. I think the Lord can grow and develop us in our understanding of how what we do, be it motherhood, fatherhood, teaching, recording a podcast, is extending human flourishing in the Mm -hmm. world and revealing his character. So I think one of my favorite chapters of Master of One is chapter, I don't remember the number, we'll call it 10. But it's this idea that 
it's one of the promises of mastery, right? So for the Christian, like what are the things that should be motivating us to get masterfully good at what we do other than the fact that we bring glory to God and love our neighbors and stuff when we do it. And I think one of them that your story exemplifies, I also tell the story of the Enron whistleblower, mm-hmm. who I think is a really good example, the Sharon Watkins. But I think when we get masterfully good at our craft, we are often granted power. That mm-hmm. might not be the best word. We might be uncomfortable with that term, but like power that can be expended in service of others, right? Not power to hoard for ourselves, but we have power, we have influence, Mm -hmm. we have knowledge that can Mm -hmm. be put to use for some of the world's most vulnerable people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you shared a story as I was researching the book that I loved and incorporated in chapter 10 that I'm hoping you'll kind of reshare here. So I'll set it up and then tee it up for you. So you just had your eldest child, Mm -hmm. right? You weren't teaching, you had taken a Mm -hmm. year off from teaching, is that right? Yes. Okay. You're living in Gainesville, Georgia, Mm -hmm. poor Mm-hmm. part of Georgia, lots of immigrants, lots of migrant workers, but you kind of, you knew you were good at teaching. You had mm-hmm. this quote unquote power. You wanted to do something productive. Mm-hmm. Talk about what you did during that season of your career. Yeah, I started, I went into an apartment complex near our church and there were a lot of Spanish speakers in that area. And so I asked the apartment manager if he or she thought there would be tenants living there who would be interested in English classes. And so I was planning on going like door to door or whatever. And he said, uh, no, like, hold on. I know what to do. Slow You're going to go. Girl. Yeah. 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 You just need to go to this one person's door, <laughs> knock on the door. She will take you around. And so I met my friend. I think you called her Catalina. Sure. In yeah. the book. We made up a name. Yeah. I met my friend Catalina. <laughs> and boy, was the manager right. I went around with Catalina and we rounded up <laughs> so many people And I had the blessing of teaching English classes on Saturday mornings for a few hours to these people, and they were just amazing. A lot of them worked the night shift and would come straight from their shift to come in and learn English, and we taught English. I had a friend that helped with me. We taught English using the book of Matthew, so we would share the gospel, but also, you know, teach them the language. And we would also focus on words that they were needing in their business. Mm. And so I just got to see these precious people flourish Mm. and grow in their confidence. And a lot of them have been able to get better paying jobs. Mm. And my friend Catalina was able to start volunteering in her kids' school. You know, now her kids are, you know, honor students and starting to graduate. And that is just something that I would never have imagined before we did this because she didn't know how to be a voice for them. She didn't know how to help them with homework, that kind of thing. And that really does limit, you know. And so just kind of being able to give them a voice Hmm. in the United States and like a more equitable way of living, I guess. Yeah, it's beautiful. And the part I love about this is like, you couldn't have done that, or at least you couldn't have done that effectively, or people wouldn't have kept coming back to your Saturday morning sessions to mm-hmm. hear Matthew in Spanish mm-hmm. if you weren't great at what you did, right? If you were a mediocre teacher and people weren't learning what they needed to mm-hmm. to go further at work and to mm-hmm. get a job, they mm-hmm. wouldn't have kept coming back. And so there's this sense, and call it what you will, I prefer to call it power, that as we get great at what we do... The Lord grants us power, not for us to hoard, not for ourselves, but to expend sacrificially. I mean, that's what Jesus did, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus had the ultimate power Mm -hmm. that he completely poured out on the Mm -hmm. cross for us. 
and for, well, ultimately for the Father's glory, not mm-hmm. primarily mm-hmm. for us. I love that. And I mean, even now, right, you're teaching in public school, you could probably be doing more lucrative things. I mean, I know that $2, <laughs> that $2 uh, raise was- Blowing my nose on $100 bills. Is significant. But yeah, you're in the public school system, right? So obviously you're not permitted to preach the gospel explicitly, right? but you very much view this work as ministry. We've, yes. we've talked a yes. little bit as to why, but tie a bow around it. Why is the work of the people listening to the show who- aren't preaching the gospel explicitly every day. They're going to work as a marketing manager at a big company. They're Mm -hmm. going to work as a teacher. They're going to work as an engineer. Why is that ministry? Can you really justify, can you really call that (laughs) ministry much like we would call our pastor's work ministry? Yes, for sure. I mean, it's going to look different in every workplace, but like in my workplace, the loving kindness that I show them and the patience that I show my students is going to be a reflection of God. You know, Mm -hmm. they see a difference in the way that I treat them. Hopefully (laughs) they tell me they do. Most of them do. Um, Have you ever had a student say that? Like, I know people say, oh, if you just be the hands and feet of Jesus, people will notice. I don't think most people buy it. Have you actually seen that like play out? Yeah. They've asked me like, why do you never seem to get mad? You know, why do you never... I've had some kids say, why do you never like, you know, raise your voice or whatever. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me show you, kid. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I tell them, well, it's because I'm a Christian and I feel like people need to be treated with kindness and patience and that kind of thing. And that's all I'm sort of allowed to say. But I mean, they know at the beginning of the year when I tell them who I am, what I believe, they know then after that, that, you know, something should be different about mm. me. Okay, Chrissy, so three questions I like to ask every guest. And this first one, man, I hope you have a better answer. Uh, I'm just kidding. Harry Potter is a fine answer to this question. It's not, though. It's not even the name of a book. No, it's not, technically. Not at all. Which books do you recommend the most or give to other people the most? Okay, well, one of my favorite fiction books is 112263. I think that Stephen King is a fantastic author, though I do not like horror at all. Did you see the... Yes, I did. Did you like it? No, Franco? I did not. You did not? All right. Not so really. 11-22-63, it was a show on Hulu, yes. something like that, with James Franco. Yes. We watched like two episodes, Yeah, we did not like it. Yeah, no. But the book's great. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. I got to read the book. Okay. Okay. Little Blue Truck. Yes. Is a classic. Yeah. Talks about the need for community. Yeah. Classic. Supporting each other. Yeah. But I am really on a Jen Wilkin kick. Yeah. I was talking to your husband about this at Bible study this morning. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. We went through Genesis with her, and I feel like she's my best friend. We're going through Exodus now in my ladies' Bible study. And what a gift she has. She is amazing. But I feel like as many times as I've read these books of the Bible, going through these studies, it's just I'm like, have I even read this? What in the world? And we're weeping over genealogies that I've just skimmed over. And she's pointing out the significance and how God cares about all of these names here. And I'm just learning so much through that. So I'm hoping to just keep going through the Bible with Jen Wilkins. Yeah, Jen (laughs) is an exceptional teacher of the word. So I was literally at Bible study this morning with your husband, Chris, and he was telling me about Jen's teaching on the plagues. Oh, yeah. Can you give a quick two-minute summary of like what was mind-blowing to you about this? 
Yeah. I just never knew that. I'd never thought about the way that God started the plagues with little nuisances, you know, Hmm. frogs and flies and gnats and that kind of thing. And then just slowly started stripping them down of things. Hmm. And it's kind of like sin starts out kind of small and then Hmm. it just grows and grows. And she was also explaining how each one of the plagues was significant because it basically tore down one of the Egyptian gods. And Hmm. I've always thought like, it's kind of weird that one of the last plagues, the ninth plague was darkness, Hmm. but their main god, Ra, was the sun god. Interesting. And so to be able to, you know, step by step kind of break down. Tear down the little giant gods. That's Mm -hmm. fascinating. I've never never heard somebody teach that like that. I love it. Those are three great books. Much better. That was a a great answer. That was a great answer. But I do love Goblet of Fire. Yeah, everybody loves Goblet of Fire. All right. What one person would you most like to hear talk about how they think about their faith influencing their work? Okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, you can dream big. We dream big here on The Call to Mastery. I know you're going to laugh at this, but... I've been extremely fascinated with Kanye. Yeah. Oh, I'm all about it. And I think that you need to bring him in. Yes. So we have people in the field (laughs) actively seeking out Kanye. We're trying to get Kanye on the podcast. I'm Mm -hmm. all about it. Mm -hmm. By the way, when we were talking about this at Bible study this morning too, if you're one of these Christians out there that are like questioning Kanye's salvation, critique, please stop. The man is raising his hand and saying, I want to follow Jesus Christ. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's celebrate with him and come alongside him and view this as the Lord working. I, I right. It's just crazy to me when we right. like poo-poo celebrities coming to Christ. I'm like, really? Yeah, I'd love to have Kanye on the show. Talk about that transition. And like C.S. Lewis, yes, I just compared Kanye to <laughs> C.S. Lewis, not abandoning the work that right. he's doing. Right. He is not changing his work. Right. But my prayer is that he is radically changing his relationship to Mm -hmm. his work. And I really want to have that conversation with Kanye. All right. Last question. What one piece of advice would you give to somebody who, like you, is pursuing mastery of the art of teaching or really any vocation? Well, the main thing is just to ask for feedback and do something with that feedback and don't let your pride get in the way Hmm. because, you know, you should surround yourself with positive people who are honest and willing to give you that feedback. No, but the feedback, one thing that I like about how you deliberately seek out feedback is it's not just from people who are going to agree with you. You're seeking out feedback from middle schoolers who are like, Right. The most critical people on the face of the earth and they think they're so smart. But I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, right? Right. Seeking out feedback from people who you know aren't going to always agree with you. Right. I think it's a trap a lot of people Mm -hmm. fall into. Hey, Christy, I just want to commend you for the work that you do. Thank you for – I mean, listen, my kids are in your school districts. Like this is like very (laughs) personal to me. I'm grateful that you do your work exceptionally well. Thank you for the gift of the Ministry of Excellence. Thank you for believing that your work matters just as much as the work of our pastor or anyone else in my least favorite term, quote unquote, full-time ministry. And thank you for continuing to get better at what you do and caring about that and believing that better is always possible. And thanks for 
hanging out with me for take two of this episode. <laughs> Maybe we'll at least take one as a blooper <laughs> later on, but thanks for being I here. I didn't get to say the thing that I learned about Jordan oh, oh, Rainer. Okay, no, right, hang on a second. Let's go there. So a little bonus at the end of this episode. In take one, we talked about our, we went on a trip over spring break mm-hmm. to Georgia that you and your husband invited yourselves onto, which we appreciated. Right. We love hanging out with the Adams. Yeah. So I asked you, what one thing did you learn about Jordan Rainer that you didn't know prior to that trip? I have two, actually. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. The first one is I did not know that you could could completely clear a Chick-fil-A table, <laughs> tried to get to your daughter who had been pushed down by a little boy in the playground. And I jumped over the table like it was a hurdle. <laughs> yeah, I will protect Kate at all costs. And I didn't know that you were willing to eat my leftovers at 4 a.m. Every morning. Every morning you had some leftover Italian chicken on our trip. And I appreciated the commitment to not being wasteful. Yeah, waste not, want not. And I learned, and I'm very interested to hear if anyone in the audience has ever heard this term, because I don't think they have. Christy asked me on the first night if she could dip my plate before dinner. I'm like, I literally, I don't I even know how to respond to that. It's not a thing. Don't use that term. That's not a term. Do you use the word yalls's? We do not use the word yalls's. So dipping a plate for those in the South, I'm, email me at jordan at jordanrainer.com if you have heard this before, but it's make a plate, make a dish. Dip a can plate. I get your, yes. Can I dip your plate? Dip a plate. And with that, take two of this episode with Christy Adams comes to a close. Thanks for hanging out, Christy. Thank you, Jordan. I hope you guys love Christy as much as I do. What a great conversation. Hey, if you want to get the book and enter the sweepstakes, you know where to do it, jordanrainer.com. Thank you guys for listening to The Call to Mastery. I'll see you next week. 